0: I hope this week as you're enjoying the 4th and thinking about all that it means to live in our country uh, that you'll be reminded of a couple of things that we've already talked about. Uh, We serve a God who transcends a country and a culture. And uh, whenever our culture or our country uh, tries to get us to bend on that, we must always yield to the Lord. At the same time, one of the things I just remind us all of as believers is that Uh, It seems like it's become very acceptable and even maybe encouraged for people in our country right now who disagree with one another to shout at one another, name call one another, uh, and basically lose all respect for one another. And, you know, that doesn't honor God at all. And so no matter which side of the aisle we're on, we serve a risen Savior, and that's the commonality that brings us together and so we work together on the things that we can. Just be reminded of that. Our gospel engagements, I challenged you last week to get our gospel engagements over 15,000. You answered the bell, and I think it's over 17,000. Praise the Lord for that. We're excited about that. That's good. Yeah. And, and I just remind you, you know, you never know how God's going to use your gospel engagements. And uh, this past week, uh, God used gospel engagements uh, with one of our church members who I was able to tag-team a little bit with, and we had a gospel engagement together. It's exciting for us to be able to do that. So uh, I'm grateful for that. Let's take a moment and look at our memory verse. It's from Joshua 1.9. Let's say this together. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. You know, we're talking today about the high cost of sin as we continue our study of the book of Joshua. And uh, you you may have heard somebody say this. You may have said it yourself. I almost got away with it. I almost got away with it. It's a phrase used by people all the time. You may have seen the popular TV show called I Almost Got Away With It that uh, kind of recounts how people have uh, been caught doing something. And I guess the thing of it is, uh, for some you may think that you're getting away with it, right? And, and it seems like sometimes you're able to get away with it. I don't know if you saw it uh, this, this month even. Uh, there's a World War II uh, accused criminal uh, from Germany, 95 years old, who has been brought up on charges. He avoided the law for 70 years. He almost got away with it. Almost got away with it. That's a long time, right, to almost get away with it. But for most of us, I would say that there's something that we could use this phrase to describe. Maybe it was when you were a teenager or a child and you really thought you were kind of getting away with something. And as a parent right now, I can kind of empathize with my own children when they feel like they're getting away with it. It takes me back to remembering that kind of thing for me as well. Uh, when we started our study of Joshua, I told you that the conquest of the land was going to require us to deal with some tough subjects, in particular how the conquest of the land meant the eradication of some cities and some peoples and how difficult that was uh, for us to do. But I mentioned to us that day that it's my belief that we don't take our sin nearly as seriously as God does. We don't see it as nearly as big of a deal as God sees our sin. And because of that, we do things like say this. we, We say things like, you know, if I've offended anyone then I apologize. Well, the fact that you had to say, if I offended anyone, meant that you offended someone. You know, if you're saying that statement, you might as well just say, since I offended some of you, I apologize. We don't do that. Or we try to excuse our sin. We will blame everybody else for it. Well, I was caught in this circumstance and because of this and that and whatever, I had to do this and this is why I did this. And we never get to the reason of just saying, you know what, I really messed up and I was wrong and I apologize. Today, we're going to study this high cost of sin. And I've said it before, but I think it bears repeating. The old timey preachers used to say that when we get involved in sin, it takes you farther than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, costs you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. That's what sin does in all of our lives. And as we look at the scripture this morning, I'm praying for us as a church and for individuals that we would be really truthful with ourselves and truthful with the Lord as He speaks to us through the scripture. Because if there's any sin in our lives, we're really playing a game that is is leading us in an enormously dangerous way because it's deadly. So if you have your Bibles, just like last week, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Not your tablets, not your phones, but your Bibles. Turn to Joshua chapter 7. And once you find your place there, I want to encourage you today to keep your Bibles open. Because we're going to be using a rolling method of looking at the Scripture. We're going to take it little by little today. Because the story is long in what we would look at in Joshua chapter 7. And I'll be summarizing some of it. But last week we studied the battle of Jericho where Joshua led the people to fight uh, this first battle. Uh, Several things for us to remember about that battle. First of all, God did all the fighting. The people didn't use spears or swords. God sent the ark and the priest before the people. They marched around the city for seven days. And then on the seventh day, they shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. Uh, we also learned about a lady named Rahab a few weeks ago, how she and her entire family were saved because she put her faith in God and sheltered the Israeli spies. But there was one other interesting thing about this city, Jericho, that we didn't talk about. And that's what, that God told the people they weren't to touch anything that was in that city. They weren't to take any spoils of war because all of it was to be considered an offering for the Lord because the Lord had done the work. So, in fact, let's actually look at the last verse of chapter 6, if you have your Bibles open there. Verse 27, it says this, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. If you think about it, things are looking pretty good for old Joshua right now. Battle of Jericho fought. Things are going in the right direction. The fame... Uh, of his name is going forward he 's obviously growing in sight of the people and the peoples in the area. But then we come to the next verse, chapter seven verse one. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons. Don't you just hate it when a spoiler comes? That's that's the spoiler alert right there. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. Achan took some of the things that were prohibited by God under the ban. They weren't supposed to touch any of this. And what we don't know at this point is what he took. We'll find out about that in just a little bit. But what we begin to see is that after reading verse 1, there was something that was going to happen. There was a consequence to the sin. Look at verse two. Now Joshua sent the men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Aven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Then they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent, so the hearts of the people melted and became as water. The city of Ai was not exactly like Jericho. It wasn't a fortified position. Jericho was a stronghold that had to be defeated. Ai was really important because it sat at a crossroads. Scholars tell us that only about 12,000 people lived in this city, and its importance was if they didn't take the city of Ai, they wouldn't be able to travel north, south, east, and west in this crossroads to be able to conquer the rest of the land. So it was important in the fact that it was going to open up the rest of the land. But just like Jericho, we see that Joshua sent some military spies to go check it out. And he said, I want you to find out the best way for us to get up there. And they come back and say, look, this isn't like Jericho. Don't make everybody, and did you notice the, wor- the word that they used? Don't make them go up and toil. Don't make them go work for this. Don't make them spend time. We only need to spend, uh, send about two or 3,000 of our men up there to take this because this is not like Jericho. Well, what happened was unlike Jericho as well. They were defeated and about 36 of their men were killed. Now I want you to think about that because it wasn't just that that was bad enough. It says the hearts of the people melted like water. What happened was they lost all their courage because of this battle and everything that they had gained in Jericho all of a sudden didn't matter anymore because they had lost their courage and their ability to trust the Lord. Now before we continue in the scripture, I think it's important for us to see some of the lessons that might come out of this. And the first one is this. Unlike Jericho, Joshua, it doesn't seem that he had marching orders from the Lord. If you remember about Jericho, uh, there was an angelic visitor that came and spoke to Joshua and and gave him some marching orders. Now, we're not told that Joshua and the leaders sought the Lord's face in this matter. We can assume that they didn't. And maybe if they had, it might have been that the Lord would have spoken to them and said, Joshua, there's sin in the camp. Don't go up there until you deal with the sin in the camp. But they didn't. Second, they were overconfident in their own abilities. We don't need to send everybody up there. It's just this little city. This little city can't stand before us. If we send two or 3,000 people, we'll be happy to, to take out the city of Ai, and it won't be a big deal. Now, we don't know uh, what would have happened had they sent the whole army. Maybe the whole army would have been routed, and we know that God was against them, so it wouldn't have mattered ultimately if they sent the whole army, but they underestimated what somebody could do to them if God wasn't on their side they missed that. They were overconfident in their abilities. And that's a very interesting thing for us to remember this morning. We must never underestimate the power of the enemy and his cunning and his craftiness. If you ever take for, for granted that God is with you as you're going up the enemy, Satan, you, you understand that if you underestimate his power, you're in trouble. We see it all the time. Overconfidence is deadly. And it kind of manifests itself like this for us. When we talk about temptation, we'll say things like, well, I would never commit whatever sin, fill in the blank. When you say that, watch out. Let me tell you something about sin. You could commit any sin at any time. I can commit any sin at any time. I've had the unfortunate pleasure, and it is an unfortunate pleasure, to preach in several state penitentiaries. And you know what's most shocking about being in a state penitentiary? All of those people look just like you. They look just like you. They were somebody's son, they were somebody's daughter, and they ended up in a state penitentiary. You could commit any sin at any time and therefore sin's not something to be messed with temptation's not something to be messed with we have to be uh, very humble in this and make sure that we're not living prideful lives that say well I'm not going to commit that sin I can handle it I can be around it when you start to act like that overconfidence is trouble guard your heart and your mind because in overconfidence it's sure to cause your ruin the third consequence of the sin that we see here is that it ran deep There were 36 people who lost their lives because of one man's sin. There were 36 families affected because they lost loved ones. There were friends who lost their friends in battle. I mean, 36 families affected because of one man's sin. And that's important for us to notice as well. When we sin, we always hurt someone. We oftentimes just think it's us. We oftentimes don't think about how sin spills over and contaminates everybody and everything around us. But when you sin, it hurts people. It hurts the people in your life. It can hurt your church family. It can hurt your family. It can hurt the people that you work with. Sin has consequences and it runs deep. It can even hurt our nation. If we could sin in a vacuum and keep it all to ourselves, then maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But it doesn't work that way, it breaks relationships. And it leaves a residue on everyone we come in contact with in our lives. You can imagine how Joshua felt. 36 people killed. They've been run out of town by a small little city and he goes before the Lord and he starts crying out to the Lord. The scripture says that he tore his clothes, put ash on his head, gathered the leaders of Israel around him and just said, well, what are we going to do, Lord? Lord, why haven't you been with us? And he starts crying out to the Lord and he starts praying to the Lord but the Lord answered him in verse 10. Would you look there with me? Even Joshua's prayer couldn't satisfy the Lord's anger here. Look at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban From your midst. Our scripture memory verse says Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go until you don't obey. Notice what he said I will not be with you anymore. How serious do you think God took this sin? Pretty serious. He removed his power from the people. And God's answer to Joshua must have been shocking. Here Joshua is crying out before the Lord. Lord, what do we do? what, What can we possibly do? And the Lord says, until you deal with the sin, there's nothing you can do. Oh, that's a powerful thing for us to think about. The whole community was suffering because of the sin of one man. One man who saw one thing, two things, three things that he wanted and he took them. Nobody will notice. It's a city nobody lives in anymore. It's a city that we've already conquered. It's a city that's been ruined. Surely God didn't mean everything. Surely God wouldn't care. I can take this and I can cover it up. There's a couple of verbs that are used to describe what was done here. The first one is the word sin. They had done wrong. But the second verb used was transgressed. They had crossed a line and violated God's covenant. When Achan did that, it wasn't that just he had done something wrong, but he had crossed a line. He had transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And then he stole something that belonged to God. And he might have thought this was no big deal. But I want to remind you all the time, God says something in Malachi 3 that we often just look over all the time. Will a man rob God? And the people said to Malachi, well, how are we robbing you? We would never rob you. And he says, you steal the tithe that is mine. You're taking something that is mine. That's one thing for you to steal from your friend. But it's a very different thing for you to steal from God. And that's exactly what Achan had done. He'd stolen from the Lord. Then the last word used was deceived. The, the scripture tells us that Achan had actually taken these items and he would buried them in the ground in his own tent and hid them there. His deception started when he took the items, but even now it was continuing. 36 people had lost their lives and it wasn't enough for him to come forward, even with 36 people dead. Those families affected, people I'm sure he knew, families I'm sure he, knew, he didn't care. He didn't come forward. He tried to live out the lie to the very last possible moment. But the only person who was deceived by this was Achan, nobody else, and certainly not the Lord, because that's how it always is with sin. It takes you down a path, and it gets worse and worse as you go, right? Sin never gets better. If you're living in sin right now, let me help you with something. The sin that you're trying to manage, it will never get better. It can't get better. It only gets worse because you get caught in this deception trap. The deception tra- uh, trap starts when you start to lie. Oh, I have to cover this up. I'm going to hide it. I'm going I'm to keep deceiving people. Then you start to deceive yourself, but the one person that you can't fool is God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter six and verse seven, he said, "Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also." reap you cannot deceive God you can fool yourself you can fool your family you can fool your friends you can fool the church you can't fool God Achan thought I've got it buried I've got away with it nobody knows someone knew and it was God eventually the deception runs out you run out of lies to tell You burn all your bridges. You've hurt all the people that you can hurt. Lost your integrity. Lost your character. And for what? And when it runs out, you have nothing left. Come to the end of yourself. Achan's sin had to be dealt with before the nation could move forward. The conquest of the land was on hold But even worse, God's promises were on hold. God's promises were on hold. I find in my own life that I love to claim the promises of God. Don't you? I mean, I love those. And I often find myself wanting to claim the promises of God while God's trying to deal with me about the sin in my life. And I just want to tell you something. Those promises are on hold. Blessing doesn't follow disobedience. Blessing follows obedience. But I get that wrong all the time. Do you find yourself doing that? God, I'm just grateful you have a plan for my life, and I'm just expecting you to take care of everything. Give me a job. Give me a family. Give me everything that I want. Give me everything that I need. Just bless me, Lord. And he goes, well, okay. When we're done dealing with this. Now, I don't want to deal with that. Nope. Just put that on hold. But the promises of God were on hold. So God, chose, God told Joshua he would expose the sin the next day. And here's how he did it. They called the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel. You remember there were 12 tribes. So they had a representative from, from the 12 tribes. And they did something like naming it by lot. It, it's like taking the 12 tribes, you know, Judah, Dan, and, you know, all those things. And they, they put them in a hat, the names. Draw it out. Tribe of Judah taken. Then it was the family, the household, the family clan of Achan, then his own house, and finally Achan. And it was only after all of this that he admitted his sin. It was only after all of this. And you might be wondering what he took and was it worth it. Look at verse 20 and verse 21 of chapter 7. <laughs> Achan answered Joshua and said, truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, fifty shekels in weight, I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. He took a woven garment. That's what a mantle is, it, it, it was just a woven garment it was like a coat he he saw he saw a coat he took a coat and some silver and some gold think about it was it worth it it was desirable or he wouldn't have taken it here's the thing about sin you don't do it because you don't want to do it right i mean that that's the thing about sin There's an allure there to it. I mean, we often say that sin's not fun. Well, that's not true. Sin is fun for a season until it starts to unravel your life, right? I mean, it's pretty fun to have some gold. It's pretty fun to have some silver. It's pretty fun to have a new coat. That's great. But when the consequence of that sin starts to unravel your life, it's not fun anymore. It doesn't work anymore. The sin ultimately cost him his life. They took Achan and his household and everything he had outside the tent, stoned him and burned everything he had. It took everything from him. He had nothing left. As I was reading this week, I came across something a man named Dr. David Howard wrote. And he talked about how Joshua 2 and Joshua 7 exist in parallel for us but they give us a stark contrast if you were here we talked about Joshua 2 we mentioned a lady named Rahab and the scripture called her a harlot I mean that's not a very flattering thing to be called right because of her profession if you think about it like that and what the scripture said about her was that she was somebody who was outside of the promises of God who should have been destroyed in the city of Jericho but what happened was she turned her eyes to the Lord and made a confession of faith that saved her life and she was delivered. The parallel can't be lost on us in Joshua chapter 7 because here's Achan who's inside the promises of the Lord, who steps outside of those and abandons the promises of the Lord and is actually destroyed. So you have somebody who didn't get it and somebody who did, and it's not who you think it would be. It's a fascinating parallel for us to think about. You see, you could... Be in the church this morning and think, "Oh, I've got it all. I've got it all figured out. I'm in the church. Sin is outside the church." But you could be masquerading like Achan was. It won't work long. When we allow ourselves to be carried away by sin, we're in danger. And the longer we persist in sin, the more dangerous it becomes for us. Because what happens is we stop paying attention to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when you stop paying attention to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you're in trouble. Conviction is like a warning flare that shot off on the darkest of nights to tell you that there's danger coming. That's what conviction does in your life. And as long as you ignore that, the further you ignore it, and and, and you just keep suppressing it and pushing it down, you stop to hear it. You stop feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you wake up one day and you don't realize that God's presence is gone. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and yet it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible, is the story of a man named Samson. And Samson kind of lived his life as a joke. He had unbelievable strength and power given to him by the Lord to be used by the Lord. But he lived his entire life like a joke. Everything was funny to Samson. He caused other people to sin and thought it was funny. Everything he did he thought was really funny. And the scripture says something that is a warning for all of us in the book of Judges. Let me read it to you. It's the book of Judges, chapter 16, verse 20. Samson said, I will go out at other times and shake myself free. And here it is. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. He missed it. He didn't recognize anymore the presence of the Lord in his life or the absence of the presence of the Lord in his life. And the children of Israel didn't realize God's favor had left them. They were just like Samson. They thought it was going to be business as usual. Send two or 3,000 people. It will be fine. But it was too late when they found out. We can't afford to make the same mistake. So how do we deal with sin? How, how do we deal with that? Because we all do it. We all find ourselves sinning. I'm going to just be bold here and say every day. If you don't, please find me afterwards and I need some help. Because I struggle with it every day. Do you struggle with it every day? Is there an attitude in your life that crops up? Is there, is there anger in your life? Is there a thought in your life? Is there an action that? That God's trying to deal with you about. Well, the first step in dealing with sin is that we recognize the seriousness of it. Step one is you've got to recognize it's serious. When God speaks to you, you don't blow it off and say, Well, it's just a little one. Nobody's hurt by this. It's just, you know, that's just me thinking something. No. You start with the seriousness of sin because that lets us deal with it. God views our sin seriously, so we need to understand that so we can avoid it. The Bible said our sin was so serious it demands death. Sin in Achan's life actually cost him his life. And you're going to face death as well because of the universal sin that we have inherited from Adam and Eve. It's a curse. You weren't meant to die, but you're going to die because of sin. But that's not the only death that we're meant to fear. The scripture says that once we die on this earth, that's where things get really interesting because we could die in eternity too in a place called hell where we're separated from God. But God taking this sin so seriously did something that was amazing so that we wouldn't have to die and pay for our own sins, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Now, if that doesn't tell you how serious sin is, nothing will. And when people try to explain away that Jesus couldn't possibly have died in their place because that would be immoral, they don't understand the seriousness of sin. Sin's going to cost someone their life. God paid the ultimate sacrifice by letting Jesus die in our place. And so what happens is we have to understand that we can die for our sins or we can place our faith in the one who died for our sins. And we confess him as Savior and Lord, surrender our lives to him, and we live for him. Sin cost Jesus his life. It was your sin, my sin. It was the sweetest person you know in your life. They sinned too. And it cost Jesus his life when we recognize our need for a Savior, then we've taken this first step to understanding the seriousness of sin. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you to do it today. Give your life to Christ. If you're a Christ follower already, taking your sin seriously means that you're watching out for temptation. You're not playing around with it. The wrong question is how close can I get to sin and still be holy? That's the wrong question. We ask these questions all the time. Well, what could I do that would blur the line over here? How close can I get? If you're asking that question, you're already in trouble. It's too late. Get away from sin. Temptation's not something to be messed with. Don't get caught in the deception trap. The deception trap says it's not a big deal. It'll tell you it's manageable, that you can handle it, but you can't. There's a corporate aspect to our sin. The corporate aspect is something I feel like that we just stopped talking about a long time ago. My sin affects you. Your sin affects me. People living in sin harm other people all the time. Sin spills over, it harms your family. Now, I think some have taken this too far because, you know, in the scripture, we're told that each one of us stands on our own. So it's not like you live under the, under the judgment of your parents' sin or you live under the judgment of your children's sin. That's not true. You may remember that the disciples asked Jesus one time, who caused this man to be lame? Was it his parents' sin or his sin? And he said, now you got it all wrong. We know that we stand on our own. And we're judged on our own. But here's what we forget is that the consequences of sin cast a long shadow. And it can affect your family for years. Your sin can affect your family for years. I don't mean in judgment before the Lord. As if they're going to be sent to hell because of your sin, not at all. But the consequences of your sin, if you lie at work and steal money, that affects your family when you don't have a job anymore. It affects our church, doesn't it? Because you've harmed the name of Christ at your workplace. And if people knew you'd come to our church. I mean, you, you understand that it casts a long shadow, right? It spills over and touches everything. We can't escape the consequences of sin. And the high cost of sin might cost you your very life. Don't make the mistake of saying, no, that's just Old Testament. God wouldn't do that anymore. The God is a God of love. Do you remember we talked about Ananias and Sapphira? That's New Testament. God killed them because they lied before the Lord. How serious is it when we sin? Sometimes it's so egregious that God calls us home. So how do we deal with it? Well, concealing it won't work. And you may right now be squirming on the inside as you think about something God's been speaking to you about. And and I just want to tell you, concealing it will not work. There's only one way to deal with it. You try to conceal it, it it makes you sick at your stomach. It, it, It burns you up on the inside. And it might be that you're trying to manage secret sins. You're lying to your spouse about something. You're stealing something from work. You're not living right before the government. You're struggling with pornography. You're giving into it. Those secret sins, it's not secret for long because God knows. And that way you feel on the inside isn't how you have to feel. Stop trying to bury those sins and you lay them at the feet of Christ. It's interesting. The Old Testament gives us a passage of Scripture from Psalm 32. And I just want to read it to you. King David wrote this long ago when he needed to confess his own sin. Listen to this. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Could it be today that you need to lay a sin at the foot of the cross? And receive the forgiveness that is yours. That's the good news this morning. It doesn't have to to end with this sick feeling churning inside of us all the time. We can confess our sin. And our vitality can be restored. We can know blessing. We can know what it's like not to live with the guilt of our sin. Maybe today you need to give your life to Christ. You've never done that. You've been carrying the weight of sin for so long. And you would never heard that Jesus had paid for your sins already. Today could be the day of salvation for you, and I pray that it is. It might be, though, that as we go into our time of response, that you need to respond to the Lord as a follower of Christ and just lay the sin down. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to everybody else. God already knows. Why hide it anymore? Go before him and let him restore the joy of salvation in your life. Because that's what he does. We hold our sin sometimes thinking that God is going to just hammer us for it when we finally admit it. And we don't realize that his hand is heavy already upon us. And he's waiting for us to confess our sin and restore our relationship. I'm going to ask you to bow your head in prayer with me this morning. As I pray, if God's speaking to you, you pray too. Father, for some of us this morning, we need to give you our life we've never truly been saved and today's the day of salvation where we would just confess our sin for the first time and receive the forgiveness of Christ father for some of us as believers your hand has been heavy upon us our souls have been churning because we've been holding on to sin thinking we can manage it God would you remind us this morning of the seriousness of that sin Father, we thank you and praise you this morning that you grant forgiveness for our sins. Father, I pray for the believer who needs to lay down sin and find forgiveness this morning. Would you grant it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.